We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. For once you are not, let me tell you, for once you are not the only individual that is like, let me tell you, I'm crazy right now. Like, I don't understand how you did the last five weeks navigating schedules. Like, my calendar was so messed up. How in the world did you keep your calendar right, especially for appointments that you had planned before you even went on your trip? I did a lot of pre-work to make sure that things were adjusted. And then I put adjusted availability hours on my calendar. Like, it was a whole big production of, of getting prepped for five weeks abroad. And today yeah. is the last day. By the time this yeah. pod drops, I will be back stateside. Yeah. Wishing I was still not back stateside. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And let me tell you, uh, I sat and talked about you last night. Uh, I was oh. with Tracy Parsons and a couple of other people, and we were just talking about, you know, just the beauty of being able to move about and spread your wings, explore new territory, uh, look at what living options might be for other people. Uh, and quiet is kept. There were some people sitting at the table who are wanting to do exactly what you and Chad are doing right now. And I absolutely encouraged them to do it. And if they had any trepidation to reach out to you to get some of the uh, 411 on how to make it happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, what an amazing community we're a part of. Everyone is so supportive and excited and, and enjoying this part of the journey with us. So I wish I was at HR Tech with you. but. We'll all be together again soon enough. I'm uh, very excited because we have a guest this week. Yeah, we do. Um, and I got to tell you, I was running crazy. Oh, by the way, I got me some of those Nike Fly uh, uh, joints. And they are mad cool because we talked about them. Yes. And it reminded me, you know, it reminded me because I saw a story on uh, Microsoft and that adaptive technology. And when I went out and I said, you know what? I'm going to get me some of these micro, these uh, these Nike Fly automatic lace-up type shoe joints and yo for real they are the truth and they're good and i'm sure our next guest will be able to help us to kind of explore why it's important that more voices and people are included in so many things so i'm looking forward to chatting with gerard you know yes so let's do a little teaser so we've got gerard charlot uh who is joining us you got it right on the first one you got it right on the first run. Let me tell you something. Go ahead, girl. Let me go ahead and handle that business. Let me let you do what you do. Go ahead okay. and do it. Now, if I can finish from the Edhini platform. That was close. That, that was, was close. close. Edhini yeah, we, platform. Yeah, yeah, that was close. Okay, there we go. See? Um, and we're going to talk to him about clinical trials, addressing systemic challenges to healthcare, um, you know, and the system itself. Um, regarding educating people of color, connecting them with clinical trials, making sure that the community knows the resources that are there for them, um, an incredibly impactful um, set of work. So I'm excited to welcome Gerard to Crazy and the King. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. 
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. All right, welcome back. Uh, And let's officially welcome Gerard to Crazy and the King. Hi, Gerard. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, I think I'm good, brother. Um, I want to just make sure that we spell it for those that are out there listening uh, in case they are trying to find uh, the organization, the company that you have co-founded. It's I-D-H-I-N-I. And my understanding is that it is Swahili. And share with them what Idhini means and talk a bit about who you are in this space, in this work. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. But <laughs> I like to say thank you, first and foremost, for having me here. Um, this is something that I'm really passionate about. And really simply, Idhini is Swahili for consent. It's also the DNA of our organization. When we think about clinical trial and having informed consent, the most important thing to understand is what are you signing up for? And essentially, that is what we do in our organization to help people essentially get rewarded, specifically BIPOC community, to get rewarded for increasing their health literacy as well as interacting with clinical trials. And let me, let, so, so go to the other part of that, because you talked about what are we signing up for? Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the story that we were going to cover had we had more time that talked about Prop um, Proposition 22 out in California. Mm-hmm. Once again, what are people signing up for when they say that they're going to work for these platform companies? Right. I, I think about what are we signing up for when we create a profile just in general across social media, Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, what are we signing up for? And, and you are specifically looking at clinical trials and you raise that phrase, what are we signing up for? Elaborate on that. So essentially what occurs is like a platform, anything that you're signing up for, you need to kind of understand. I mean, health is very personal. And, you know, say a woman with breast cancer, a man with prostate cancer, or even a parent, you know, taking care of a kid. If you don't, with all the conflicting and information as well as disinformation, misinformation out there, it's really difficult for people to really sift out, figure out what's really good for me. Like, do I trust my doctor? My doctor might be, have a partnership with a drug company and he actually helps his business and he gets money. You know what I mean? Like, what is the angle? So we feel at Adhini that it's important, first and foremost, to provide people with information, health literacy in a in a, in a culturally competent way that addresses their health need. Meaning, all that is to say, we do it in plain English. <laughs> At the end of the day, I don't want to, you know, I don't need to know if I have, if I have diabetes, I don't need to know what the medical terminology is. I just need to know how, if I do this, how do I feel? And that, that really is really what it matters, specifically when you go into clinical trials. And we're definitely seeing a lot of big pharma come through um, with commitments to expanding diversity in clinical trials. But Bristol Myers is one that has laid out a, a five or a set of five commitments over the next five years, um, specifically addressing 
um, clinical trial access for the BIPOC community. Tell me, how do you feel about those commitments and how, and if you are starting to see the landscape change in terms of access and information that are coming out about clinical trials? So I'm going to put it really simply. Um, show me. <laughs> and, and that's the whole point. Um, what, our, what our organization does is ensure that, okay, this is what you're saying. Prove it. It's not about access. Let me ask you a question. How much does it cost to get someone, anybody, forget about a person of color, but just anybody into a clinical trial? What's the cost? I have and, and, no idea. <laughs> and if you talk to a, and the, the problem is, is that think of it like this. No one knows, but they're all running, they're all operating under auspices that they do know. But what are they doing? That's the question. The question is, they're catching people at the doctor's office. Um, they go into basically underserved and underprivileged uh, communities and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you $1,500 and you're going to show up 16 times and the risk is on you. And guess what? I might make billions of dollars off this. It's not ethical. It's not equitable. It's not real. And where I feel the, the, the pharmaceutical company, yes, there's awareness, but what we're providing is a platform to actually have that clarity where you can actually know, because what's the simplest, okay, let me ask you something. How much would, if I had a clinical trial that I was running, and this is just you, you know what I mean? This is not, you know, this, we're just saying plan it, plan out. How much would it cost you if you knew there was a clinical trial to you take off two weeks work of, worth of work, that there might be some risk that you, you know, that, that something happens to you. How much would you ask for? 80% of clinical trials get delayed by at least one month at $600,000 a day. So that's about 18 million a month. Would it have been easier just to ask someone to say, hey, I'm going to do this. I understand all the information. I get it. But... How much does that, how much do you want for that? But let me jump in for a second because I don't want to get too far in the weeds. And so mm -hmm. when, when I think about, you know, what you are saying, it absolutely makes sense that, you know, for a lot of these individuals, they're making decisions based on not having enough information. They don't know the landscape in which they are participating. And, and we know that these are extremely important. And part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation Today, I wanted to have the conversation because, you know, in September of 2020, uh, Citibank released uh, uh, the report closing the racial inequality gaps and healthcare was one of the four pillars that they mentioned. And so I think while while some may think that we are. Are 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 shitting on the, the clinical trials space, that's not what we're doing, what we are hoping to do in this conversation is to better prepare people so that they can participate. So give me, if, if you could, give the audience the top two or three considerations um, as to why participating in clinical trials is vital. Given where we are right now, why we need more individuals from all ethnicities and demographies and background, we need them all participating. Give me two or three considerations. Well, I'll give you the number one reason. We got shifting demographics. 
Talk about it. You got a cup. You got a country that's right now forty-two percent non-white. That's going in about fifteen to twenty years will be fifty-one to fifty-two percent um, non-white. And the problem is that when you're giving drugs, you're giving you know every every race, every ethnicity, they have certain genomics. And the reality is what a Caucasian gene is not the same as an African-American gene. And the problem with, and what that occurs is that you're giving people a drug that doesn't reflect the population that it's, you know, that it's serving. That's That's equivalently giving you footballs at a baseball game. Okay, so so number one, changing demographics, and number and two, cost. and the reality is the cost. It's costing us four hundred twenty-one billion a year, and those, that cost is rising. That four hundred twenty-one billion dollars is the size of Norway, which is the seventeenth largest GDP in the world. So we're basically blowing money away simply because we don't have a system that actually reflects the people that it's supposed to serve. That's really it. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's a great point, right? And you kind of started us off with a lot of the realities and also the fears and stigmas that are associated um, with the healthcare system for people of color. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's important, as you just pointed out, to get participation in clinical trials. So how do you work to overcome some of those fears and stigmas to get that credibly important participation in clinical trials so that we do get drugs that are reflective of working in all of our communities. So unlike the tech community and a lot of organizations have done before us is they try to do it by themselves with technology. What we differ is that we actually engage people. How about that? And we work within the trust pillars of these communities, which are HBCUs, divine nine organizations, which are basically, you know, old black and um, black um, fraternities and sororities, as well as places of worship. It's just, these are the trust pillars. The bottom line is nobody trusts. Again, 85% of the United States does not trust the healthcare system in this country. So when you start looking at those things, you got to educate people. And you can't educate it with a piece of technology. You can create a platform for someone to read, but you can't make them read. You need to engage people. You need to basically, you know, if I'm talking to a friend of mine, you know, a colleague that I went to school with, guess what? You know what? It's going to be a lot easier. It's more palatable. And we find that the data shows that because of the disinformation and, and the conflicting information that people get, a lot of times people are trusting word of mouth and it more, you know, giving that more precedent than what, what they're reading. We can see that right now with, vac- with what's going on in the vaccine in similar communities. It's because people, don't trust you can't trust something that you don't understand and i think the first step is to help people understand what forget about clinical trials do you understand your heart your hypertension do you understand your you know why and what things are drivers on that do you understand that the foods you eat all those things collectively and then being able to actually contribute and actually feel you belong to that community that's where it starts. The next phase is actually getting places like, you know, 
instead of just the normal John Hopkins and all the other, you know, big CDC places, maybe go into a Morehouse Medical, a Meharry, going down to, you know, Howard Hospital and understand. And this, and like I said, I'm speaking from this from a black perspective, but I don't think that it's any different than if this occurs in a Latino you know, community or an Asian community or any community for that matter. So, so let me ask this question. You know, when we think about, you know, the, the, the trust pillars that you mentioned, churches, community groups, uh, uh, fraternities and sororities absolutely, absolutely feel like they should be integral to anything related to diversity and inclusion, like anything. And, and those trust pillars should be exploited positively no matter what audience we are talking about. So if we are talking about the LGBTQ community, they have some trust pillars. If we are talking about people with disabilities, there are some trust pillars in their community as well. And I'm sure Julie would agree with me. Here's why I'm curious, um, because you've, you've explored, you're on the frontier of wrapping or, or leveraging blockchain to address this scenario. Why'd you choose blockchain over something different, a QR code. I, I don't know. I mean, no. just, you, you know, why'd you choose that direction? I wouldn't necessarily say that we focus on blockchain, but to answer your question, I don't think that's our main driver because, okay. technology, because I think that we choose blockchain in certain aspects because of the supply chain, the security and the transparency. That's, that's, in our system, we also use AI and machine learning. We also use a various number of different technologies to deploy this. But the main thing is we use what our medium, we try to provide that in content. We actually try to create a learning mechanism for people to actually make it fun where there's actually a reward. Because the part that people forget, like about a biggest part of our platform is that we reward. So if you figure on technology, how do you create a rewards program is through blockchain, because again, you can, you know, it, it, it's easily implemented. If you look at any, any rewards program, if you look at banking for me, it's, it's just that you, we can see the transactions that we've made. And obviously that data creates new data and research data that can be used to identify the patterns that occur. So if I were to synthesize it then, Julie, uh, and I'll turn it over to you, but I'm smiling because I think you just said something. So if I were to uh, synthesize it, then it would be increasing representation in clinical trials, providing information and transparency along with reward. Is that the, is that a simple? I think, I think so what, where, what Ahini is right this second today and what we're driving to be is the black white, the BIPOC WebMD. That's what we're trying to do right now. Phase two is now providing people a personalized experience where all this stuff is, because now you have to give, you have to create authority. We can't just be these guys coming off the street and say, Hey, you know, we're, you need, you need, it needs to be cultivated. And then the, that trust, the adoption of the new technology, and then being able to use that data to actually spur and increase people into clinical trials is the way to go. You can't, how do I look at it? Any big endeavor, any big problem that someone has to tackle, it's better done and more efficient and more effective 
if it's done in bits. The first part is we need to start educating people. We need to start getting people and reward them for being that education. Reward them physically. Okay, you learned about your diabetes. Okay, boom. This means something that's tangible that you can leverage or you can gain more. You can, you know what I mean? That's number one. Because once that person has the value that this information, knowledge, understanding that I have about my health, and now there's an incentive because there's a tangible reward behind that, is very powerful. Because then that leads them to this understanding. Now, if they choose to go into clinical style and they can basically properly value, think about it. We always try to say it like this. Think of the stock market. Why is, why is um, insider trading illegal? Because it violates information symmetry. The reality is that people have inside information about what something is that they're going to bring to market and nobody knows. So I can easily manipulate that. That's exactly what the healthcare industry has been doing since its inception. So what we're doing is providing people and and the same thing when we're giving people advice or we're we're providing them content on on, on, on their health. It's plain, it's like an analyst report, one page, plain English. This is what it is. This is what you. This is your diabetes. This is your problem. This is thing, and they read it and they're done. Hey, Julie. You know the re- the reason why I wanted to have Gerard on. Of course, I said it at the top. You know, uh, in reference to the Citibank report, and and I want to reinforce that. Um, and I'll certainly turn it over to you. But the reason why I wanted to have Gerard on, and I want to have more guests on um, in the the coming months that fit into those categories in that report, education healthcare, housing, and compensation. I want to have guests that can speak to the fact that Citibank highlighted we have lost $16 trillion since 2000, that right. we'll lose an additional $5 trillion if we continue doing the things that we are doing. This conversation today was really around seeding information in our listening audience around the importance of clinical trials, how in some way they are set up, if you will, Uh, And and what we need to do to not only change them, but change them to make them better, Jay. Yeah. And and I think just kind of last question for you, Gerard, is what could a leader in a pharmaceutical company in a healthcare system take away right now to think about how to change overall leadership within their organization? Obviously, we can't fix overnight that we need more black and brown people in leadership. What what are some immediate steps that they can take to make sure that they're being more inclusive in not just clinical research, but just everyday health and in the way that they communicate that out to their patients and a, a diverse community? Real simple. Hire leadership that reflects the community that you're serving. Hire them as your heads of your company. Hire them as the clinical researchers. Hire the clinical, you know, invest in more, you know, diverse doctors, you know, invest in, you know, invest in the ecosystem to the people that you're going to serve. And that, because all that will actually benefit the people that you are serving. And let me be clear, that's very profitable for them. This is a, we're not offering, we're not telling them that they don't know what they're doing. It's just that they don't have the relationship yet. And they forget that, you know, when you think of someone like Henrietta Lacks um, right here in Baltimore, if you think about the Tuskegee experiment, where basically, you know, you basically you had a study to find out how people are going to how long it will take for people to die. 
<laughs> from a particular disease, you know, you got to start, you can't, it's how my mom used to tell me all the time. You can't start solving the problem if you don't take ownership of the problem that you caused. Whole nother episode. I know. Like you literally, <laughs> like you literally, you literally just gave us a whole entire episode, as the streets would say, a whole new episode. But Draw Charlotte, we absolutely appreciate you. Co-founder of Idhini, that's spelled I-D-H-I-N-I. Again, Idhini, it's Swahili for consent. Where can people find you on the web? You can find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter. You can find us at join.idhini.co. Um, but more importantly, you'll hopefully you'll start finding us in your communities, in your friend's mouth, top of you know, word of mouth. And more importantly, hopefully we'll be able to serve you guys in a way that 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 would that we never imagined would be possible, specifically for groups that have been underserved for far too long. Gerard Charlotte, we absolutely appreciate you, Jay. You know, that was a good conversation. I love the fact that we might be able to bring more guests in in those four pillars, education, housing, health care and compensation. You know what that does, Jay? That shows our listeners that we got a little bit of complexity that, uh, as you would say, Julie, go ahead and smile. This is yours. This is for you. This is for you, Jay. Uh, As you would say, living at the intersection. You you don't do it like that. You don't sashay like I am right now on camera. Y'all can't see me. But Jay loves to say living at the intersection. We appreciate it, Gerard. We do our Her Voice segment because, again, we want to amplify women that are making moves women that we feel are contributing to the landscape in a very positive and promising way. The fact that Gerard talked about having more uh, underrepresented voices, different voices in leadership. This is the reason why we do uh, the Her Voice segment here on Crazy and the King. And again, we're looking for sponsors. So if your organization believes in amplifying the voices of women, consider sponsoring this segment for us. Uh, This week, we have Ann Wolf-Clark. She's the CEO of Independent Point Advisors, and they are dropping on Wall Street. And it's significant because it's the first majority-owned and managed by a woman firm on the street. Some people are saying that IPA could be a magnet for other women. As a matter of fact, we have a 52-second clip that we're going to play for you right now. What is driving this investment bank's decision now, and and, and why now? Well, why not now? There's really, this is a male-dominated industry, and I've been covering M&A for a long time, and unfortunately, there's just not that many women investment bankers in leadership roles. I could kind of count them on one hand, how many uh, female leaders there are at the different U.S. investment banks. So we're finally seeing one that will be from the top, owned and controlled by women and perhaps other underrepresented groups on Wall Street. Right now, ESG is having a moment and diversity is really something that investors and deal makers and clients are looking for. So this is really being born at the right moment. Probably a bit too late. It would be great if this we already would have a women-owned investment bank, but better late than never. And that was Leanna Baker of U.S. Deals team leader in conversation on Bloomberg Quick Take. 
We also want to make sure that we drop uh, Rashika Tolshian. Uh, you can find my dear friend Rashika on Twitter at R Tolshian. That's the letter R T U L S H Y A N. And you can pre order her book, Inclusion on Purpose. It's dropping in February of 2022. February of 2022. Too. And the reason why I wanted to highlight Rashika this week is because she wrote the last installation, the last installation for New York Times in her words. It's a series that they've been doing all year. Uh, and my understanding is that it's going to be going away. Her last piece was around colorism. Make sure you go to her Twitter profile, find that article and read it. She actually interviewed Ilian Omar for that piece. Incredible work incredible writing, incredible insight, love, love, love that she highlighted the aspect of colorism. All right. And a quick mention, as you uh, called out last week, MindStand has launched its first focus groups and they are looking for input from HR leaders, chief people officers, and directors of diversity and inclusion. So if you get something from MindStand, uh, pick up that call and take that survey. Oh, good stuff. So let me tell you, the formula for success, the formula for success is simple. It's practice and concentration, then more practice and more concentration. Now, listen, I know that sounds simple, but I'm going to say it again. The formula for success is simple. Practice and concentration, then more practice and more concentration. It was said by Mildred Ella Babe Diedrichson. Uh, Zaharia. She was an American athlete who excelled in golf, basketball, baseball, and track and field. Won two gold medals in track and field in the 1932 Summer Olympics before turning to professional golf and winning 10 LPGA major championships. Uh, Mildred, we ain't gonna talk about the name Mildred because we got some Mildreds in the family, but Mildred was a boss. You understand? All right, my friend. So next week, uh, I'll be back live with you from the good old USA. Hope you enjoy HR Tech. Take us home. Yeah, I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Share it with your friends. Drop us on social media. Help us to increase the listenership. But more importantly, I want you to be a better human. Do what it takes for you to build high-performing teams. For you to show that empathy that intentionality, that transparency that we talked about earlier in this episode, and of course, proximity. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.